Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the California Wireless Association podcast. I'm your host, John Coos. I'm a Cowboy board member, and my day job is at a senior vice president at Butler America Telecom. The Cowboy podcast is brought to you bi-weekly. Uh, today, we will be discussing the digital divide. A regional effort is underway in Southern California to attack the digital divide head on. The effort is being led by entrepreneur and well-known urban planner Steve Pontel and San Bernardino County Supervisor Kurt Hagman. We are fortunate to have one of the two. Steve Pontel is our guest today. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thank you very much, John. Look forward to it. Thanks. I really appreciate it. So uh, before we get into our topic, I'd like to give our listeners a background on you. So... You uh, are the CEO and president of National Community Renaissance, National Core for short, which we will get more to in a moment. But going back further, you know, in 96, you founded the La Jolla Institute, a California-based nonprofit think tank that advances a better understanding of the critical elements necessary for both communities and corporations to achieve sustainable economic competitiveness. You are a nationally recognized authority on community development and creating forward-thinking organizations to maximize evolving market environments. And you have a bachelor degree from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and a uh, EMBA from the Claremont Graduate University's Drucker School of Business. Uh, Steve, incidentally, um, I went to the other Cal Poly. I own that. I, I had a previous guest who was one of you, an urban planner from SLO. But, you know, we kind of have an insecurity complex. You guys definitely have a superiority <laughs> complex. <laughs> so, but nevertheless, so before we get into our main topic, I really want to talk I, you know, I looked you guys up. I, I read some of your stuff. You know, National Core, and you guys have, it seems to be centered around a concept called community renaissance, or com it's the community renaissance concept. Maybe you could tell our listeners, you know, beyond the telecom space, what exactly that is. Uh, sure. And thank you, John. Uh, so because I'm a city planner, one of my perspectives is a systems view. And communities and neighborhoods are very complex systems. And one of the challenges we have is issues are becoming increasingly segmented. And so the silos are getting taller and taller. And it's totally rational because of the complexity of the issue. So the water people spend all their time talking to water people and transportation people talk to transportation people and education, education, housing, housing, et cetera. And so the challenge we have though is because communities are a complex system, how do we build the bridges between those sectors of, of the community and activity uh, in order to be able to understand how the pieces fit together? And so that's what we try and do when we're looking at a neighborhood. Is, is how do all the pieces fit together to transform the neighborhood? What, what are the elements that are necessary? Because no one issue is going to transform the neighborhood by itself. 
So you have to have a, a, a successful working economy. You have to have you know, effective transportation, the basic infrastructure, water, sewer, streets, telecommunication need to work in order to be able to have a, a successful community. So just thinking about how those pieces fit together mm. and then what our role is to be catalytic. We tend to lead with housing. You know, housing is the crisis du jour mm. and, and it can be incredibly catalytic in the lives of people because once people have stabilized housing, then they can think about their future. Um, but we don't end there because we're interested in how all those pieces of the community can come together, work and be successful. Well, fantastic. I'm sure there's a lot more to that, but this, uh, on, on this concept, but I, uh, based on my background in planning, I, I know where you're coming from and based on some of my background in regional planning as well as local planning, I mean, sort of the concept of general plans and whatnot sure. sometimes stops at, I guess, the city's edge in your, and, you know, while we have all kinds of other agencies and, and, and organizations that we need to bring into the process, it sounds like. And so that's what we're talking about today, but focused more on telecommunications, broadband accessibility. And the term sort of uh, du jour, as you said, is the digital divide. So the, you know, the pandemic really accelerated ex emerging trends that were already happening from telecommuting to retail behavior to social dynamics. But one thing that it really exposed, it seems, and there seems to be broad agreement on this, is that um, there's a lack of social equity when it comes to broadband access that was really exposed by the, by the schooling from home and, and whatnot. So, but you're 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 w w more versed in this than I am. So when you when you're asked, what is the digital divide? What's your, you know, your elevator uh, answer? Sure. Uh, I, I think the easiest way to think about it is, it, you know, uh, broadband is a necessary infrastructure, just like any other critical infrastructure today. As I mentioned, be you know, water, sewer, roads, stormwater. And so the challenge we have is some people have access to effective broadband to be able to effectively access their healthcare, education, work, et cetera. Uh, other people don't. And so that's the digital divide is you either have access to the technology necessary to participate in the systems of today. And that can either be the infrastructure, uh, that can be the devices to access it, that can be the cost of access. And so all of those things are barriers to people having effective access um, to broadband. And so that's what creates the digital divide. Right, right, right. And you, something you said just came to mind. Um, I, about a year ago, I, I was up in uh, Mammoth and I took a pretty nasty spill um, on a mountain bike and I, I got pretty banged up. And it was, of course, during the pandemic and everything. And then when I got, you know, after I started mending and whatnot, I had a follow up telehealth uh, visit with my primary care physician. I didn't even think about it at the time. Well, what if I what if I didn't have the internet at home and it's a pandemic, but you still need to see your doctor? That's a good example right there, isn't it? Right, exactly. And what happened during the pandemic was when, when all of the medical visits shifted to being tele, either telephonic or video, uh, uh, those people that had a, had the, the the devices and the bandwidth to have a video interaction with their medical provider versus those that had to try and do it telephonically, just describe it on the telephone, 
-hmm. had obviously a much more successful, better visit. And for the for FQHCs, uh, federally qualified health systems, which is where most Medicare, Medicaid patients go, mm -hmm. it, from the beginning of the pandemic, half of the visits were telephonic. Mm -hmm. And so it just went to show you the impact of the digital divide and how people were able to access that increasingly necessary you know, piece of the infrastructure, the healthcare system. And then when schools went to distance learning, entire generations of people have, I mean, an entire generation, entire year has been lost for a lot of people whose family didn't have the devices, didn't have the bandwidth for all the kids in the family to be able to have access. And so you can just see it now and how it's played out in so many ways. Absolutely, yeah. So you, you guys are tackling that and you're tackling that at the regional level and you're partnered with uh, Supervisor Kurt Hagman, who incidentally was my assemblyman for a while and he's a great oh, guy yeah. in North Orange County. He's got, he used to have one of those districts on that uh, right, bordered three county. counties. Yeah, but he's right. a great, he's a great guy. And um, tell me how that, uh, that whole, uh, this whole th thing started sure. and then we'll, and then we'll get into the vehicles. So early, probably in April, May of the pandemic, one of the thoughts that occurred to me is we should really be thinking about what are the lessons we need to be learning now to make sure we're better prepared for the next pandemic. Because there was a lot of energy about surviving the pandemic and there was a lot of discussion about reviving the economy, but really not any about how do we become more resilient in the future. And so I was able to convene a group of about 50 people from throughout Southern California to have that conversation. It was a fascinating discussion because it was people from every sector, of the economy and government and brainstorming, you know, what should we, so we talked about the justice system and access to the justice system. And we talked about transportation and we talked about all the issues, but the two things that rose to the top were the ability to have a stable supply of PPE, which was a huge crisis early on in the pandemic, primarily because of the disruption of international supply chains. Mm -hmm. And the ability to have effective access to broadband, primarily for health, was the original uh, need that was became very apparent. So those two conversations began to move forward. Kurt was the chairman of the SCAG Technology Committee. And so Kurt and I began to collaborate on convening the digital divide conversation. Uh, and so that was the origin of it and getting SCAG and SANDAG, the Southern California Association of Governments and the San Diego Association of Governments, by the way, San Diego is part of Southern California, whether they like to admit it or not. <laughs> I, I know. But they have their own MPO, Metropolitan Planning right. Organization, that kind of deals with a lot of these regional issues. And so getting them together in partnership, we got all seven Southern California counties to participate. You know, the whole array of ISPs and people from health and education and work and just a variety of those sectors that will mostly affect affected. Um, and began to come to some agreement about we, in order to solve the digital divide, it can't be a city by city, county by county. We really need a regional approach. And so that became the genesis of, you know, the steps we've taken since then. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah. So, um, small, uh, small world, I don't know if it's small world, big region. I, uh, when I graduated back in the day from my, get my planning degree, my first big job was at SCAG as a transportation planner. I worked there for a few years and, you know, uh, kind of interesting as a first job for a planner. I mean, most people go to cities and become an assistant planner and yada, yada. But I, I it was a great experience. But I, so I saw firsthand, you know, the, uh, 
the sort of the the power that could ha occur when you get people together on uh, committees such as this and um, you know skag's an mpo but it's also in the uh, alphabet soup it's a council of government a cog and uh you know it adding sandag to the mix obviously makes perfect sense it, they can't be like an island uh, in southern california but you know when you're when you're saying things like uh 50 person um meetings or things like that it, i'm having flashbacks to when i was uh the technical uh, chair of the uh, 98 regional transportation plan. And I would have Caltrans there, MTA, OCTA, San, all these, the, the whole alphabet soup. And then some of the big cities, uh, how do you, how do you keep people focused? How do you, how do you manage um, just a group that is so disparate ge geographically, maybe politically, sure. et cetera? Well, it was one of the benefits of um, zoom. And so it was interesting because in the mid 90s, we had the technology, but it wasn't as easy and as effective as the technology we have to now. And, and so the technology met the time and the need. And so being able to have that kind of ability to have everybody participate in the discussion at the same time um, was an enabling aspect of it. Uh, and I, I think the, you know, obviously relationships are very important. And that's one of the challenges we have as a region because of the size of the region and because of the geographic distances, the relationships aren't as strong as they could be. But getting together a group of people that had certain, where the, you know, there was you know, one degree of separation for everybody that was involved. Uh, and then I think the pandemic, because you know, what is, whoever, you know, I know a number of people have stolen, but never let a good crisis go to waste. So I think people felt a sense of urgency and a real desire to participate. And interestingly, both conversations have continued to move forward, the digital divide one and the PPE conversation. And so that is another, that other side of the initiative is also moving forward with LA Care um, and the Inland Empire Health Plan and you know, all of the Hospital Association of Southern California. And so, but I think getting people together, having a clear target and then being able to identify those initial steps. One of the first steps we did was we got every one of the seven counties to adopt a resolution committing to end the digital divide. And then we actually have a letter, first time ever, we got all seven counties to sign a letter to the federal government asking for $4 billion to be deployed in Southern California to help end the digital divide. And getting SCAG and SANDAG means we had all the cities that also then part of that same conversation. And currently they're working on a common permit because one of the biggest challenges in deploying the technology is every city has their own rules and their own permit. And so you, it's a patchwork in order to you know, put a line anywhere. Mm -hmm. But we're working on creating a common permit for those neighborhoods that, where we can end the digital divide, you know, where the digital divide needs to be ended, where the, people don't have access to the technology they need. And so the, I think having those steps that were, um, we had some early accomplishments, had a lot of early momentum and have continued to be, you know, bring people together and focus on solving very specific problems, uh, definitely help the process move forward. Right, exactly. You mentioned permitting, which is often, you know, something um, that's always a challenge and it's not that it's something we can, uh, you know, some people on the private side just like to moan about how slow cities are, counties are, et cetera, et cetera. But let's be honest, the volume is so great. And these these public works departments in particular were never conceived of having to 
you know, have to process maybe so many small cells or so many um, fiber permits or, you know, encroachments in the right of way, um, you know, and I, and I think people in the wireless industry need to remember that these folks on the city side are, are doing their best and they've probably understaffed. So when you talk about sort of, I guess, boilerplate permits, permitting process and what, can you, can you go a little deeper on that? Because that'll be a great interest to our listeners. Sure. So I, you know, the, my understanding, you would know this much better than I, but you know, the federal government's pretty clear on, you know, you have to permit, you have to allow the technology to be deployed. Right. But local government does have discretion about, okay, what's the process and, you know, how does it, you know, how, how do the pieces fit together? You know, what's the impact on neighborhood and what does it deal with aesthetics? And, mm-hmm. and you know, when you're trenching in a street, you know, what, what is the, you know, appropriate um, uh, impact of trenching and, you know, how, you know, who, who deals with water intrusion and how, you know, what standards do you use? And so one of the goals is, okay, let, let's, at least get a you know, best, you know, best, best practice, you know, standard, you know, at a minimum kind of a threshold mm-hmm. and, and both for wire and wireless and then be able to say that, okay, here's a neighborhood that doesn't have access to the bandwidth it needs, whatever the reasons are. We want to try and make sure that getting a permit is not an excuse for not deploying the technology that's necessary. Right. I think one of my mantras, you know, my entire career is take away all excuses. And so then, you know, take away the excuse and then you can see where the market's willing to move and not willing to move. And and I think there's, you know, and I'm also not adverse to using guilt. So you can guilt cities into it and you can guilt the ISPs into it. And so you can say, look, you're saying you don't want to deploy in this because, you know, the, you don't like the numbers, you know, the mm-hmm. economics of that neighborhood. Well, that's no longer an excuse because, you know, we need to make sure that every neighborhood is connected. And for cities, you know, you're willing to let this part of your population not have access because you have, you know, some, you know, uh, permit barrier, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and also try and normalize the fees because, you know, certain cities that are trying to incent the deployment of access to broadband charge, you know, nominal fees, other cities that are trying to pay for all of the associated costs, you know, at a different end of the spectrum. So for this neighborhood, let's agree that the goal is to get the technology deployed, you know, not balance the budget. And so those are some of the opportunities I think we have to move forward. For those neighborhoods where the demand is high and the market is, you know, six different ISPs competing against each other, that's a different conversation. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I've experienced it over the years. You hear about, you know, I'm not going to name um, ISP uh, any, any individual companies, but you hear that they're bringing X product to your community. Then you find out that, well, they the ROI uh, was looked at by neighborhood versus by city, maybe. And the, the, some of these neighborhoods, the ROI is not going to pencil out. And so you're, I, I like what you're saying. And so, you know, if I were to interpret it, it's like, hey, um, you guys, you guys need to look at this as a longer play. Maybe uh, the money's there, but you, if you cherry pick, then you know our community suffers, right, in terms of deployment. And and it seems to, and it got exposed during the pandemic for for sure. Um, one more thing, I suppose, on permitting and stuff. Um, 
the uh, it seems to be like when it comes to work in the right of way, um, some cities are opposed to micro trenching for fiber versus others. When you when you're working with, are you making headway with your Skag Sandag group on breaking down some of those things where you're getting people to talk about? Well, why, why, why do you hate not like micro-trenching, and why have you guys accepted micro-trenching? I'm not saying, Steve, to focus on micro-trenching, but there's those home rule issues sometimes get exposed as kind of old thinking when you bring people together, because that's just the way we've always done it in our right. city, right? Maybe you could talk about the, the, the benefits of this conversation, breaking things down that cities hadn't thought about that their next-door neighbor's probably doing. So I, I think the, the primary benefit is the fact that both Skag and Sandag are now facilitating that conversation, mm-hmm. whereas before they weren't. I would say Sandag is probably making a little bit more progress because it's you know it's a much smaller group of cities in one county. Mm-hmm. Um, Skag has 190 cities and you know, whatever the number is in you know, six counties, and, but they are they are working. And I, I think a portion of it too is making sure the right people are in the room to be able to have that conversation. And so that is also beginning to happen. And so I, I think that it is a, um, uh, we're, we're in the beginning, probably haven't dealt with the most difficult parts of it yet. You know, home rule is still a big deal. Neither Skag nor Sandeg is going to impose anything, which is like I said, maybe guilt will be the motivation, but they are getting closer and closer to having a model permit that then mm-hmm. can be advocated for. Right, right, right. I neglected to ask and um, about the composition. Um, I'll, I'll, before I ask the question, I, when I worked at Skag, you would have like um, the regional transportation plan committee that was made up of regional council members that were elected officials from across the Skag region. But then you'd have the RTP technical advisory committee, which was the staff kind of like doing all the work. But they didn't. Sometimes we didn't talk to the electeds. They had their own committee meetings and we had our, our technical committee. When it comes to the composition, do you have electeds and staff and private sector? Who, how would you characterize the composition of the, uh, of the committee? Yeah, I, it is all of the above. Good. Now there are some subgroups that are like, there's a mapping subgroup that is broken out, which is being co-chaired by the CIO for Riverside County and the CIO for LA County, mm-hmm. working in partnership with Esri. And so Esri has agreed to voluntarily help, you know, provide backbone mapping, you know, capabilities in order to identify where is the need the greatest. And so there are some technical aspects that are being driven by those people that are more knowledgeable. But for the group as a whole, it is electeds as much as executives, public sector and private sector. Excellent. Excellent. And so the last thing is um, if people wanted to uh, at least observe the meetings um are you guys meeting quarterly and how would they uh, we were meeting every other week for okay. a while we've now backed it down to about once a month okay um, um and so the question is going to be how to uh if people are interested how to get how to be able to plug in mm-hmm. um the best bet so i'm not giving away someone else's email is let me give you my email. People can send me a note, and then I can get them connected to um, the facility. You know, the people that are organizing the meetings. Right. And so it's s pontel s p o n t e l l at national core national c o r e 
org. And so spontel at nationalcore.org, send me an email and I'll get you to, right now SCAG is starting to take over the facility, the, the, the organization of the meetings. Mm-hmm. And so I'll get you plugged in. Perfect. Well, that's fantastic, Steve. I, 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 in preparation for this, I watched a great portion of the last three meetings. It was very oh, engaging. Sorry, <laughs> Did it help for you to sleep? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a kind of a, a wonk, you know, a bit. So nevertheless, well, hey, thanks a ton for you doing this. I know you're exceedingly busy and it's uh, great to hear that, you know, movers and shakers in um, Southern California are collaborating on this very important issue to crush the digital divide. So thanks for being here. You bet. Thank you, John. Thanks for getting the word out. Oh, no problem. So, and also I want to thank our growing listenership. Uh, The Calwell Board of Directors is committed to bringing great guests like Steve to educate our members on what's going on in the wireless industry and telecom writ large. And don't forget to sign up for the uh, annual SoCal golf tournament being held at the Arroyo Tribuco Golf Club in Mission Viejo. Mission Viejo. All right. Be safe out there. And this is uh, John Coos, your host, signing off. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.